Yo, what is going on, baby? Nathan Kennedy, The New Money Podcast, episode 71. How y'all doing, man? Hoping you guys are enjoying your week. As always, my friends, you already know what it is. Any questions you guys have, please hit me up at The New Money Podcast on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Uh, Not Twitter, actually. Maybe I should get on Twitter. Hmm. Message me. Maybe I should get on Twitter. Not on Twitter, but, you know, on uh, a few other places. So hit me up if you have any questions. I'd love to answer. I've I've noticed that some of you guys have been uh, tuning in and and asking. So that's amazing. Also, I would love if you guys, if you're using Apple Podcasts, I would love if you could leave a little bit of a review there. Helps the show, helps the algorithm, helps, you know, the, the good message. Go leave those reviews. Thank you for those who have. Now, guys, you know I'm always talking about investing in yourselves and in your future. And you know that we talk about the stock market a lot and you know we're fans of it here at the New Money Podcast, but I could talk all day, all day long. I could talk, 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 talk about how great it is, all this stuff, but if you guys aren't out there taking action, it's all for nothing, right? You gotta go out and take action today. And that's why I think that Wealth Simple Trade and Wealth Simple Invest are two of the best platforms, best platforms in Canada to help you start building that future for yourself. The interface navigation are incredible, so easy to understand. Wealth Simple Trade is a commission-free platform where you can buy stocks and ETFs free of charge. Wealth Simple Invest is a robo-advisor where they do all the work for you. You just put the money in, guys. Come on, it's a no-brainer. Wealth Simple Trade, Wealth Simple Invest link in the show notes link in my social media as well or you could just do it yourself don't even have to link me whatever just just start investing for god's sakes all right um so so go check it out in my link that would be ideal <laughs> uh, also i want to give a quick shout out to grit labs group fitness bootcamp style training these guys are grinding we're doing zoom workouts get your free trial sign up work out with me it'll be dope um it'll be so fun and you can check that link out in my bio as well. Go sign up, guys. I really support what they're doing. Um, and, and you know, in this time, they're usually in person, obviously. Uh, so to, to help support them, even by coming with a free trial. And, um, you know, it's, it's just it's awesome. So give it a try. I think you really will enjoy it. Okay, so today, guys, I kind of a, kind of a historic um, interview for me. I, I feel like it was really, really dope to sit down with Diana Miriam, who's the host of Optimal Finance Daily. I talk about it in the episode, guys, this was my start to personal finance, like literally the first thing, first piece of content that I, I started listening to. And I've been a listener since. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, how great it is. It is so awesome. And so for me to, to have the chance to interview the host, uh, she is the newer host, but I mean, she's honestly, I love her better than the old one. The old one was like, 10 out of 10. Diana's like 15 out of 10, right? So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it was just so, so dope to chat and she's such a vibrant, amazing person. Um, and I truly enjoyed talking with her about her story, um, and, and a variety of different topics. Guys, this is a top notch episode and that's real talk. Like I really, really believe that. And so guys, ah, such a good episode. I know I say that a lot and I do, but it's true or I wouldn't release it, right? So guys, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Diana Miriam, who is the host and the creator of Economy, but the host of Optimal Finance Daily. Diana, how's it going? So good. Thanks so much for having me on. Honestly, it's like I am beaming. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Guys, I listen to Diana almost every day. 
Um, my, what my favorite, probably my favorite personal finance podcast, uh, period. Uh, and, and Diana here's the host. Uh, so, so, so excited. Um, so Diana, really quick, just tell them a little bit about, um, your, your, a, a bit about your past and, and, uh, a little bit about optimal finance daily and we'll go from there. Sure. So I guess I'll start with the podcast. It's called Optimal Finance Daily, and it is a daily show. Uh, So seven days a week, including weekends and holidays. And basically, it's a narration style podcast. So I read blog posts from personal finance bloggers, and then I offer my own commentary on it. Um, And so, you know, reading the post plus my commentary, it's probably about 10 minutes, 10 minutes or less. Sometimes I'm a little long winded and it's a couple minutes more. Um, But that's, that's the podcast. And I got into this um, because of my interest in the personal finance space. So um, it's funny when I think about it, that it really was only five years ago that I got out of debt. And it, I'm, I'm turning, how old am I? I'm turning 34. I did not start getting really interested in personal finance until I was 28. And so, you know, I think it just goes to show that like everything is figure outable. And even if you're in a tough, you know, position financially, you can dig out of it. I think you just have to reprioritize you know, what's important to you. And I prioritize saving and investing and getting out of debt over like everything else. And that sounds like it would lead to deprivation, but that was not my experience. So basically what happened is in my twenties, I'm living in New York city, you know, I'm living it up. I definitely had my (laughs) twenties in New York city (laughs) and just spending money with abandon. Like I just, you know, I was partying all the time. I was going out every night, like a lot of fun. And I, you know, was coming up on 28 or I was 28. And I just remember kind of realizing that my 30th birthday was like looming, you know, and it's a very Mm, reflective birthday. And I had spent so much time, like focused on growing my career, but I, I just realized I didn't have a lot to show for it. And I knew I had debt, but I didn't even know how much debt I had. So I I ended up running a credit report. You can get a free credit report every year um, from the three reporting agencies. And I I ran my credit report so I could see everything collectively. Like, what is my financial situation? And Mm -hmm. I was 30 grand in debt. And it just blows my mind because half of it was credit card debt just from living outside my means. And then the other half of it was student loan debt, which doesn't seem that bad, right? I mean, 15 grand in student loan debt is nothing compared to most people. Mm -hmm. However, I got a full academic scholarship to college. (laughs) Like I shouldn't have had any uh, student loan debt, but I took out loans for living expenses because that's just what was offered to me. And no one told, I didn't need it, but Mm -hmm. no one told me that, you know, not to like, not to take it. Um, so I just took what was offered to me. And I just, I think that in my twenties, I knew I had some debt, even though I didn't have full awareness over it, but I just had this attitude of like, I'm going to be making millions one day. I thought I was going to be the world's highest paid female CEO. And it sounds so obnoxious to tell you that now. (laughs) I mean, it's just, that's what I said when I was young. I had big dreams for myself. And I think that's amazing to have big dreams. And I, you know, I had a lot of confidence in my earning potential and that's great. Mm -hmm. It's also a terrible financial strategy to just say, I'm going to deal with it later when I'm making my millions. Um, I never understood the power of 
compound interest and the power of starting young. And that if I started young, I'd have to save so much less than if I started late. Mm -hmm. And so all of that kind of came to my attention when I had decided I really want to get out of this debt because for my 30th birthday, I wanted to go to Spain and walk the Camino, which is a 500 mile trek across Spain. You're like literally walking across the entire country. Wow. And so I, I was going to need to take two months off of work. And at that time, I didn't think my employer was going to give me time off. I thought I was going to have to quit. And so if I was going to quit, then I needed to have money saved. And if I was going to have money, need to have money saved, like I got to get out of this debt. Right. So that was kind of yeah. like my uh, initial motivation. I'd also say that um, another thing that really influenced me is I had a friend who worked at Google and she was also interested in personal finance. We were in this, like, we called ourselves the, I think it was like the women's, the reputable women's club or something like that. Uh, I, I, we, it was just cool. like a mastermind group, basically. It was a group, a group of women that tried to support each other. And we all had these goals of like getting out of debt and getting in shape and getting raises. And we just like worked mm. to support each other. And we met, I think like bi-weekly Empowered. or monthly. Yeah. yeah. And, and so she ended up sending me this article from uh, Mr. Money Mustache. And I think it was the one about you know, your debts an emergency, like you got to think of it like your hair is on fire and just the way that yeah. he wrote and the way that he talked about money. I had never heard anyone talk about money that way. And it just, it mm. completely changed my relationship with money and consumerism specifically. So mm. I devoured that blog. I like ate it with a spoon, every single article. Yeah. I just like read every article and I got a little obsessed with it, you know, but it, you know, when I had yeah. first decided I wanted to get out of debt and I found like a debt reduction cal calculator online and I thought it was going to take me two years to get out of 30 grand of debt. It was like two or three years, something like that. And then after mm -hmm. I read Mr. Money Mustache, I, I was like, oh no, I'm going to like slash this stuff. I'm going to crush it. I ended mm -hmm. up crushing it in 11 months. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And so then from there, I started saving about 60% of my income and that opened up a lot of options for me to you know, fully fund my retirement vehicles, save the money I needed for this trip. Um, you know, it just, it just saving and investing money just opens up so, so many options. And, yeah. um, yeah, so I feel like I'm kind of rambling now, but that, no, that's no, really how I started. Yeah. That's yeah. really how I started. That's, that's, that's so awesome. And, you know, you touched on so many great things there. I think, and you know, <laughs> one thing I want to say before I forget, um, I really love your your commentary at the end of um, the episodes because because I, I know um, the previous host, Dan, uh, I believe, would he'd sometimes say some things, but he was pretty like just by the book, like here's the article, whatever. I love you like just giving your two cents. Like I, I like sometimes I find myself listening to him like, oh, I already know what you're going to say. Like I'm, like I'm like, I already know what she's going to come with. Uh, so it's it's so awesome. Um, and And your story with um, with personal finance, I feel like I, I resonate with it so much because it, it really is that like light bulb flashing in your head moment, right? Like it was probably like just such a visceral thing for you, eh? Yeah. I think it's this realization that your money can buy you stuff or it mm -hmm. can buy you time or, and freedom. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just like a complete paradigm shift. 
I think, in recognizing money as an, a very powerful resource. And mm -hmm. I've even kind of evolved beyond that, my initial attraction to understanding the power of money. I've, I've now kind of extended that to recognizing the power of all of our most important resources, namely our time and our energy in addition mm -hmm. to our money. And now what I think about is like, what's the sweet spot in the middle? Because they all really affect each other. And I think it's really easy to like get into the game of like, I'll just make more money. But what is the opportunity cost for your time and energy when you're doing that? Mm. Is there kind of more of a balance where I have all the money that I need, I have all the time that I want to enjoy the things that I want to do, and I have all the energy that I need. And that includes your health, your, your mental and physical health. Um, to be able to enjoy my money and my time. So the, the mm. three really intersect a lot. And um, I feel like as my relationship with money grows, it's, it's leading me to ask bigger questions, not mm. just how do I save more money? How do I grow my income? How do I reduce my expenses? That's where I started. But now I'm asking myself, what do I want to do with my time? What's the contribution I want to make to the world? Um, those are just, it's, it's, it's like, I, I have bandwidth to think bigger now. And, and yeah. that all started with getting my money in order. Yeah. And 100%. And I think that's, that's definitely an evolution that I think I I'm going through right now as well. And in, in terms of, um, not looking at money as this specific, like the only resource that's like out there, you know, I used to, I used to trade time for money all the time without even thinking about what the trade-off was. Like I would, maybe do like a side hustle. I'd work like, work like it's crazy to say, like I would work like 10 hours, 11, 12 hours and, and for like a hundred bucks. And, but I, I'd be like, oh, it's a hundred bucks. Like I don't care about my time. It's not really valuable, which is true. But it begins, as you begin to make more money and as you begin to, to, to evolve your personal finances, it does, your time does become worth more. And so you have to start thinking about how valuable of a resource uh, that is, as well as energy. I think energy is definitely one I'm starting to think about a lot more too, as as things get busier and busier, and so that you know that's that's really interesting. And I think ultimately, like money, the the best thing you can do with money is is to create time. Like at the end of the day, it could all be boiled down to that: giving yourself time to do the things you want and 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 enjoy the life you you have, right? But I also think it's it's a process to get there, right? Like right. I'm really happy that I paid my dues in my 20s and I hustled really hard in my 20s. So in that sense, even though I was bad about money, I almost, I built up what is like, to, is often referred to as career capital. So you build up the skills and the experience in your career that ultimately what you want to do is get to a point where you can now trade that career, career capital for more autonomy and time and freedom. Um, and, and I think that's a process, you know, I mean, I'm, I really admire young people that like graduate from school and they immediately start their own business and they're just, you know, you hear about them all the time and that's amazing. Like I, I am cheering them on. I think for me, I needed to learn from people that were like a lot more experienced than me sure. and, and pay my dues and, you know, do those things like spend out 10, you know, 10 hours 
course for a hundred dollars because yeah. you're just building up experience. And that is really you when you're young and I am, I'm, I don't think I'm that much older than you. I'm still very young. Let's, let's acknowledge that. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You are 100%. <laughs> but, but I think when I was in my twenties, like I had a lot more energy then. Yeah. And I mean, I could stay up all night partying and then go to work at 7 a.m. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can't really yeah. do that anymore. And I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, so I think like while you have your, you know, fresh out of college kind of energy, like, yeah, use it to pay your dues. Use it to, to learn. There's a really amazing book that I just read by Cal Newport, and it's called So, so Good, Good They, they Can't, can't ignore, ignore You. you. And when I read yeah. that book and a friend of mine told me that they recommend it for anyone, any young person starting a career. And mm. I was, you know, I was just curious because a lot of people talk about this book. So I read it and it was like, I loved it. I thought he made some amazing points. And I also looked at it like, this is what I did. I was able mm. to build this career capital to ultimately negotiate a remote working arrangement with my employer so I could move from New York City to Cincinnati and keep my New York City salary, right? That was a huge jump in decreasing my expenses to move to the lowest cost of living city in the country from New York <laughs> City, a very high cost of living, right? Um, yeah. But I was able to do that because I had been with the company for five years and I had built up this leverage in this career capital. If I had only been there like the first year and I said, I want more time and freedom, they would say, great, find another job. Right. Yeah. I had to prove yeah. myself to them as super valuable before I could make an ask like that. So I think it does require a little bit of patience where, you know, we're all so like itching to, to get there as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. But I do think it takes some patience to get yourself to a place where you're like, okay, let me start leveraging some of this stuff that I've been mm -hmm. building for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I love Cal Newport and I actually, I read, I actually read that book as well. And, and I, that really struck a chord with me and, 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 you know, the biggest thing that he talks about is, is the, the passion hypothesis, right. And, and he, uh, you know, he says that, you know, you know, do what you love isn't necessarily the best advice. He doesn't, you know, absolutely decimate uh, it, but he kind of breaks it down and, and gives his two cents. And so I really uh, appreciated that viewpoint. And I, I'm starting to see that viewpoint come out a little bit more of building that career capital actually gives you the things that give you passion, like time and, and, and freedom. And, and it's sort of, it's sort of this way of thinking where it's not a, it, it's, it's, it's hard to think about because you know that everybody says that do what you love, do what you love, and and there's there is truth to it, um, but I think I I loved how he brought light to a lot of people why they love what they love is because they actually put in the work and paid their dues. Right. Yeah. Well, and I also think like what I've realized about myself is that you know I always have ideas of what I think I want to do. Oh, I oh I want to go be a singer or I want to start a conference, which I still do, but, um, I'm going to ask you about that, by the way. <laughs> yes. But like the singing thing, for example, you know, ever since I was young, I just imagined myself on a stage. I imagined myself performing. I could see myself singing in front of a bunch of people. And, and even when I did walk the Camino, it took me 38 days to walk 500 miles across the country. I did end up doing it for my 30th birthday. And 
I sang a lot. I mean, singing might be a strong word. Maybe it was more like wailing, <laughs> but whatever it was, it was like cathartic. <laughs> and I, I just came back and I, that was one of my goals. I'm going to like hire a singing coach. I'm going to figure out singing. Like, this is what I want to do. And it just so happened that, you know, I ended up buying this cute little house and down the street opens a school of rock, which is like a music school. It's a franchise. A lot of people think of it for kids, but they do have an adult program. So I signed up for this adult program and I'm in this band now. And I, I have band practice once a week. I have a singing coach that I see once a week. I had to sing every day. I'm doing all these exercises. I'm practicing all these songs. So I trained really hard for four months to ultimately sing like seven or nine songs in front of a group of hundred, a hundred people. We had like a show and mm -hmm. it was a one hit wonder show. And I worked so hard at it. And as I stood on that stage and I sang in front of all of these people, when it was all over, I was so relieved. <laughs> and that is yeah. not how I imagined I would feel, right? Because when I saw myself in my mind on stage, I felt euphoric. I was so excited about it. But when I was actually doing it, I didn't feel the way I thought I would feel. So that's the tricky thing I think about passions is that we think we want something and we think we know how it's going to make us feel. But I think we also have to test those assumptions because we could be very wrong about what the experience yeah. ultimately is. Yeah. 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 You know, and that's, that's interesting. I feel like with, with things like that, it, it all comes down to your expectations. And I, I feel like sometimes people will literally pull that feeling they think they'll get and, and they'll drive up their dopamine, serotonin, in, in, the, in the moment before leading up to it, you know, imagining it, right? That's, that's actually, I think there's, there's, there's some psychology studies where you, you, your do dopamine spikes the most when you're before it happens or you thinking about it before, but the actual moment of it happening, usually it's not nearly what you think it is. Um, and so that's why that, that drop off that you speak of, like some people need to, to, to feel that specifically and like, okay, is, is this still pretty good? Or is this not even close to as good as I thought? I, you know, it was completely um, not what I want. Like I, I think about that sometimes with, um, you know, I, <laughs> I've had different passions in my life that I've tried out and I'm just like, oh, this would be so sick. And you know, you try it, you do it. And you're like, yeah, that's not for me. Like no chance. Right. But it's a clue. <laughs> right? It's a, clue. it's a clue. Like you're, you're getting closer to something. So for me, before I was doing, before I was singing, I did stand up comedy for about two years all That's over awesome. like New York city and Cincinnati. I was like doing all these open mics and I was working on my sets and, um, I had some pretty good, pretty good jokes. And, um, but what was, what, what was your best joke? What was your best joke? Well, the thing is that my, <laughs> my, my comedy is a little raunchy. I don't know what kind of audience you have. No, my, they, they don't care. They don't care. They'd love to hear it. Well, they're, it's very like sexual in nature. I don't want to like make you blush. <laughs> <laughs> no, do it, do it. I'm telling you like, it's okay. It, okay. I, I'm taking a risk here. You could cut this out if you feel like it's inappropriate, okay. but okay. I think my best joke is about what I like to call a breakfast blowjob sandwich. Do you know what that is? No idea. Okay. So my boyfriend loves this. He's actually in the living room right now watching TV. Okay. Um, so what I, what I like to do is I'll wake him up with a blowjob. 
Then I'll go make some breakfast, right? Like some, some, an omelet with some smoked salmon and goat cheese, like a real breakfast, a real fancy breakfast. Right. And then I give them another blow job because I need to eat too. Oh, <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> That's my best joke. Highly inappropriate. Feel free to cut it out. <laughs> no, well, I, you know what? <laughs> I'll keep it in there. I, I, that's, that's, that's hilarious. I hope <laughs> my, my comedy was a little raunchy, but it was all yeah. about like me partying it up in New York city in my twenties. I mean, that's where I got all my material from. Right. And so, um, but the thing about stand up is you're surrounded by, you know, people that they're trying to make it in stand up. There's a little bit of desperation in the air. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just I didn't feel like these people really inspired me. The people mm. that I would meet at open mics. I mean, I I met a lot of lovely people. I'm still friends with some of them. Um, I hope that they go on to have amazing careers in stand up. But it wasn't mm. for me. It just wasn't something that I was going to take very seriously. But I will say that it definitely helped me in my public speaking skills. Um, I tried like Toastmasters and public speaking classes, and I just never felt like in intimidated enough to be able to overcome that fear of public speaking. But stand up mm. is like, that is intense, right? That is like throwing you to the wolves to get up in front of all these people oh, that yeah. they don't care what they're at open mics. It's all like other comedians wanting to get up there and try their stuff. So they're like half paying yeah. attention to you because they're all thinking about what they're going to say when they're on stage. So if you can make those people laugh, like you're doing really, mm. really well, you know? So anyway, I, I decided that, you know, stand up's not for me. Singing's not for me. Um, but there's something about performance. That's a clue, right? Even if that mm, specific mm. type of performance isn't right. And then I get this opportunity with optimal finance daily. That's a performance. It's basically like voice acting when I'm reading those articles. And so mm. that to me is something I really, really enjoy doing it. I love doing it. And, mm. um, I, I, it's almost like I, followed the clues to ultimately something that yeah. I would have never anticipated. I never thought I was going to host a podcast. This is something that dropped in my lap as an opportunity that I did not see coming. But as soon mm. as I saw it, basically it was a Facebook post that the producers of the show um, put on, on Facebook in a group I'm in. And I'm like mm. doom scrolling one night. It's like 11 p.m. Yeah. I'm doom scrolling because I couldn't yeah. fall asleep. And I come across this post and everything in my body was just like, that's yours. That's yours. That's yours. That's it. it was just yeah. this like sense of certainty. I and and I I I like stayed up to like two in the morning writing them a very I'm a salesperson, you know, in my professional mm -hmm. world. So I uh, I just wrote them this pitch email that was like, I know I am the best person for this job. And here are all That's the reasons amazing. why. And here's a sample. And and then I asked all of my friends in the personal finance space to like comment on that post and like recommend me. <laughs> I aggressively went after that job, but I'm so, and I was nervous, right? Like they, it's such a big audience and I'm, I don't consider myself a personal finance expert. That's why I call myself an enthusiast. Yeah. I love when you say that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not a certified financial planner. I, I'm not, yeah. you know, I, I don't have any letters after my name that, you know, gives me the authority to talk about personal finance, I guess. I'm just someone that's figured it out for myself and mm. I really care about it. And so, um, you know, it, it was just such a good fit and, and here we are. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. So what made you want to start 
economy, the economy conference. And when did you start that? So I used to go to this, well, it's ending soon, but there's another conference called World Domination Summit that Mr. Money Mustache spoke at like maybe, I don't know, six years ago, five years ago, something like that. And, you know, he, because he spoke at it and it just looked like this weird, like who puts, who produces the world domination summit? Is that like pinky in the brain or something? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, what is this? And I go to the website and it just, it's all about like unconventional living Mm. and it's, it's, it's expensive. It's like $700 a ticket. Plus you got to pay to get there. It's in Portland. Plus you got to pay to stay somewhere and it doesn't include any food. So you got to pay off for all your food. I mean, this is like over a thousand dollars, well over a thousand dollar trip. And I, I just went for it because I was so, you know, wanting to just get, just see what it was like. I was just curious. And I love this conference. It is $700 a ticket and I'm a very frugal person, but it is worth every penny because the people that you meet there are the most creative, interesting people I've ever met in my life. And it's, it's like they have speakers. So, you know, you get these speakers that are just phenomenal and they're talking about their unconventional charity that they started or their crazy athletic feat or, I mean, they, the topics are very broad. Like it, it, the, the speakers talk about a variety of things, you know, Mr. Money Mustache was on stage. I remember this one woman talking about, um, like time management in a really interesting way. Um, mm. this other, one of the best speeches I saw was the guy who started, um, charity water. And I like okay. immediately, it was the only time I saw someone talk about a charity where I immediately started, I'd started donating a hundred dollars a month to his charity because I was like, so blown away by this guy. Like, I, you know, it's just, you sit there and you're in this energy of the room and you got an amazing speaker and you're surrounded by amazing people. And there's just something to being physically around people. And it's a huge loss right now with this pandemic. But when you can surround yourself with, energizing people. It just does something to you. And I would leave this weekend feeling like my life was so full of possibility. I would feel like Mm. I could do anything. And that feeling just, I would go once a year. I think I went to like three or four of them. I went to three of them and this next one that's coming up is going to be their last one. And that's going to be my fourth one. And, you know, I just, that feeling of feeling like my life was so full of potential and, and limitless, it's an incredible feeling. And it would drive me to do things like walk across the country and dream up a business. And so I wanted to create that feeling that I would get from world domination summit. I wanted to create that about money, about a topic that I am so passionate about that completely changed my life. What if I could get 700 people in a room and blow their minds with this event and have them meet other like-minded people and for them to walk away feeling like they that their life is full of potential that is why i created economy and um it's really referred to as like the ted talks of the fire movement so the first year so the first event happened in march of 2020 like right before, literally a week before the apocalypse hit. Unbelievable. It's like, I totally dodged a bullet on that. Someone is like, watch, looking out for me upstairs because there's just, I've worked on this for 20 months. I invested so much 
of myself in it, so much money in it. I took a 40 grand loss on my first year. Um, I, I just, because I wanted to do it right. And I just knew that if I could bring my vision to life and if 250 people came to the first event, if I could show them how amazing this is that they would come back next year with a friend, you know, Mm -hmm. like I just knew if I could, if I could float the first year, Mm-hmm. It was going to be big, you know. Yeah. I'd I'd recoup that investment, and I do think I'm going to recoup that investment this next year. Yeah. Um, the next event is in August. Um, but but yeah, it I, that is the what I feel like I'm selling for a very reasonable ticket price is a feeling. I want you to feel mm-hmm. like you're the way that I felt when I was at World Domination Summit. And if you're just interested in the content, like the videos of the speakers no problem. I'll give that to you for free. You can go on my YouTube yeah. channel. You can watch all the speeches. I am happy to give you that, but you mm-hmm. don't come to the event just for the speakers. You come for the experience and it, it's just a vibe, man. Like so I did a post-event survey and I loved how this one person described it. They said, it's like a party about money because it's oh, not man. like a stuffy, you know, financial workshop or something like that, where Mm. we're explaining to you what a 401k is. It's not like that at all. I designed it so that it's as entertaining as it is informative. And, Mm. you know, I've got a lighting designer, I've got a music designer. It's like, you know, every speaker chooses like what song they want to walk out to. And we've got a huge (laughs) after party and, you know, it's, we've got games, we've got activities. Like we, we just facilitate an environment of fun and human connection. Plus you get Mm -hmm. to learn about money stuff and you get to, you know, get inspired by other people's stories. So this is like, I don't make any money off of economy, but this is to me, like I, there's so many non-monetary benefits to it. Like Mm -hmm. to me, it's a springboard to other things. And the podcast is one of the reason why I got that podcast job is because they saw what I did with economy. They saw that I had this like real passion. We talked about passion before, but as much as I'm passionate about this stuff, you know, economy was really hard. There were so many moments that I wanted to cancel it, that I I doubted myself, that I had imposter syndrome, that I had to mm-hmm. battle my own insecurities. I mean, it was, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, wow. and I'm so proud of it though. Like, even if, you know, when I was kind of fear setting, right. Trying to decide if I should cancel this thing, realizing that I was going to lose a lot of money and, yeah. I just thought, let's just say I lost that 40 grand and I'll never recoup it, that we never have in another economy. And I just have to close the business down because it's not sustainable for whatever reason. Lesson learned, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of entrepreneurs, their initial projects don't work out. That should be expected. Um, Mm -hmm. But I just thought to myself, like if I were to have a child, that would cost me a hell of a lot more than 40 grand over the course of that kid's life. And I'm not interested in having kids. I want to birth businesses and world adventures. So it's (laughs) worth the money, right? Like I got to create something that I'm really proud of. And I think, you know, this podcast is about money. I'll say this on taking a big risk on entrepreneurship wasn't nearly as painful for me as it was for some other people because I had so much financial bandwidth. 
I had a mm-hmm. 60% savings rate. I was maxing out all of my retirement vehicles. You know, even though I took a 40 grand loss, that 40 grand was pretty much like I did that wasn't saved in my after-tax brokerage that year. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not like I had to like sell investments. I didn't have to take out a loan. I didn't have to ask anyone for money. I could just take this huge risk on my own terms because Mm. I had the money to do it. And, um, I just think that if you're interested in the fire movement, you're probably interested in entrepreneurship. And I think that the skills that you learn in saving a very high percentage of your income can serve you very well as an entrepreneur because it allows you to take more risks and bigger risks, bigger reward. Yeah. And you know, it's, to be honest, I don't even think you were trying to pitch the conference, but now I need to go to the next one. I I'm, I'm, I'm literally in, in Canada and I'm literally like, and I will do whatever it takes to get across the border and, and come to this thing the way you're talking about it. We did it have, we had like... a number of people come from Canada. We had people come from Canada. We had people come from 23 states. It's, um, you know, a lot of people thought that it was a, like a local thing to Cincinnati, but we really drew like a pretty broad audience. People really flew in for it. I have like, you know, ho- you know, preferred rates at hotels to stay in. I also do this cool thing for um, anyone coming into town. I will match you with a local host. So you can like sleep on their couch and stay somewhere for free. And then you guys can drive together because the whole thing is about making friends. Right. And so I match you with someone local. You save money by not having to pay for a hotel and you get to make a new friend and, you know, um, go to the conference together. So yeah, that's, that's so awesome. It's little details like that, that I think make the event really memorable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think, I think, a big thing too with when you when you when you bet on yourself like that and you bet you're like listen I I really believe in what I'm doing and I really believe in this and and the fact that you you know put yourself in a position to do that is is incredible and to not you know completely strain your finances and to still be in in a, in a very strong position is is very admirable and I think that's one of the biggest you know powers to um, managing your money correctly and and you know how much of a, how strong of a position you can build over time to be able to do things like that. And, you know, I always think, you know, when you or, or when me or whenever, when someone um, looks back on their life, are you going to regret that you took that leap of faith and, and that you you bet on yourself and then you created this amazing conference? Like, of course not. You're going to, you're going to be like, yeah, that was the right thing to do, regardless of the the monetary implications you know, you just know like that was your vocation. Like this is, this is going to happen, right? Yeah. Well, I also, you know, I'm a numbers driven person. And so I recognize that this wasn't going to bankrupt me, right? Like what's the worst that could happen? 40 grand, fine. But it wasn't like I was draining my 401k for it. It wasn't like, like, I think that that is a possibility for some people that are so like attached to their dream and they're, they really want to try. Like, I think if I would have done that, maybe I would regret it. Right. It's almost like managed risk. Like they're big risks because it, it is a lot of money for a lot of people, but in, in, in the context of my nest egg, it wasn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's a great point. You touch on the risk management aspect aspect because I listened to a podcast um, called How I Built This. I don't, do you listen oh, to it at all? I love that podcast. So good. Do you? 
Love so it. So I absolutely like every, pretty much every entrepreneur they bring on there. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I love you. Like, <laughs> this is so interesting. I, and, um, but, but sometimes I hear their story and I'm like, man, you like, that could have went south really quick. Like you hear stories of, of people who like, you know, like took loans against their parents' homes and like they're, you know, they have kids and then they're, like, they're like maxing out every credit card. They did whatever it takes. And it's like, there's this kind of like hustle culture that sort of like celebrates that in a sense. And it's kind of like, okay, guys, like let's think about like the risk management aspect. And like I, for, for me personally, like I'll, like I'll bank up myself before I, 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 you know, people, the people around me. And that's not to, you know, touch on, you know, that, like, that's just me. I understand other people and like, there's no judgment at all, but I think, I think there's, there's a line that you got to like figure out for yourself, um, where, where it's beyond you. Right. Right. And everyone's different. I mean, those people that are, you know, taking it out on credit cards and taking loans against their parents' house, like maybe they're just have such a strong sense of certainty that they didn't worry about it. But I know for yeah. me, I battled a lot of self-doubt on my project, mm -hmm. you know, and, mm -hmm. and I didn't, I was very unsure of myself. I feel a lot better about myself now, but I think any challenge, whether it be the challenge, the money challenge of like getting out of debt, that was a huge jump in personal development for me because I learned how to cook every meal that I ate. I learned how to be resourceful. I learned how to barter. I learned, I got really creative about getting my needs met. You know, that was a, a, a big time of growth for me. And same thing with economy. You know, I spent 20 months building it and I, it threw me into a very deep depression for like five months. It really? was so hard. Like I could barely get out of bed for like five months. I was really struggling. My friends and family were very worried about me. And wow. I, it was like, I, it totally out of left field. And, um, I think it was that in a very condensed period of time, I had to like battle my own insecurities and my imposter syndrome and, you know, deal with the people of who the hell do you think you are or like questioning every, every decision I made. And I was questioning every decision I made. And, um, it was really, really hard, but I think going through that process, I learned how to take so much better care of myself. Like I have prioritized my mental and physical health above all else, above all work, mm -hmm. above like the relationship I have with myself is the most important relationship in my life. And it mm -hmm. took me going through a very deep depression to kind of learn that and crawl out of that and build better mm -hmm. habits over time in, in taking care of myself. Now I hop out of bed at 5 a.m. and I have this luxurious morning routine of three hours. It's like three and a half hours of self-care. I journal, Amazing. I meditate, I do affirmations, I read, I exercise, and I make myself a fancy breakfast. Sometimes it includes a blowjob. No. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I, I would say I wish I would have known that when I was younger because you made a really good point about the hustle culture. And that's what mm -hmm. I always thought I needed to do. I need, you know, you, you talk to people who are really successful and they're like, I put in all these hours of work and I hustle, mm -hmm. hustle, hustled. And, um, and I mean, even I probably contributed to that when I said, you got to pay your dues, but I don't mean you got to kill yourself. Right. Yeah. I think, I think yeah. you got to work hard, but you got to 
also recognize that you got to work in a way that's sustainable and you can so easily burn out if you don't take care of yourself. And that is, that falls into the energy kind of area of time, energy, and money for me, those most Mm -hmm. important resources. Um, Mm -hmm. If you don't have the energy to, you know, be able to handle your money or your time or what you're doing with your life, it's just not a good place to be. Um, so I think prioritizing that for me, um, was really, really important to get me through that hard time and give me the mental clarity I needed to do a really freaking hard thing. You know? Yeah. 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 That's, that's so my last sort of question on this, like is the toughest thing about a conference, getting it off the ground. And then is once it's happened once or twice, is, is there a lot less to do? Like, do you have pre-existing relationships you can? Oh yeah. So I think the biggest challenge for me, I definitely knew that there was a white space and demand for this because you don't see like there in terms of events around financial independence, there's like camp Fi, which is amazing. I go to camp Fi's and I highly recommend it. There's some women or oriented events like sense positive. There's adventures to Fi. There's a statement event. There's Lola retreat. Like there's all of these little events about money and financial independence, but they're very relatively small. You know, it's, a, it's a, about 60 people maybe at an event like that. And you spend a weekend and it's amazing. I love them. I go to them. I absolutely recommend them. I wanted to create a very inexpensive, large scale event. And so the difference there is that, you know, it's a, it's a totally different framework logistic wise, but also I did not start with like a blog and a following most people that put on large scale conferences. It's like the last thing they do first, they start a blog, then they write a book, then they have a podcast, then they have a this, then they have that and they get this big following. So ultimately everyone wants to get together in person and then they put on a big event and get together in person. I didn't, I started with no audience. So nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew. I didn't have a track record in producing events. I, I didn't have any, aside from my selling ability, I had to sell people on me and, and get them to believe in me and my capacity to do it and my vision for it. And I had to call on 150 people to get my nine speakers because most people were like, who the hell are you? Or who do you think you are? You know? And I totally understand that. I had no track record to to point to in in doing this kind of thing. But the people who believed me really supported me. And I didn't need 150 speakers. I only needed nine. I only needed nine people to believe in me. And even with, when I think about my audience, I don't need millions and millions of followers. I need 700 people to be really into me, right? So that they buy a ticket <laughs> yeah, and come. Yeah. That's all I need. That's not that much, right? Most people yeah. want millions and millions of people. No, I just need 700. I think that's manageable. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and so the hardest part was definitely building it from nothing for the first year. But now that the first year went so well, um, you know, we did a survey and afterwards, and 90% of the audience said that they would come back and recommend to a friend. That is amazing. Wow. My email yeah. list is small, but it's mighty. Like my open rates are crazy high. Um, mm. You know, it's a small, small, mighty tribe. 
And that's amazing. That's how you can build from there. And the fact that I invested in professional videography, all those videos um, are very high quality. They look just like TED Talks, um, except with my branding and my style. And that's up on YouTube. So it's like, hey, check out what we can do for you speakers. We can produce this beautiful video for you that you can use in your own marketing. Um, mm. And it, economy just has built from the first event. It's, it's, I don't even think we've said the name. It's the economy conference. That's the event we're talking yeah. about. Um, and it, it just has a bet, a good reputation because the first year far exceeded everyone's expectations. So now going to find my speakers I have this amazing case study and of, of, I did it and it was really well received. Here are all these amazing stats. And again, I'm a salesperson. I can build a killer sales deck, you know, and I have on this. Yeah, yeah. I already sold half, half of my sponsorships. I've already sold. I didn't have any sponsors the first year. No one would give me money. Right. Now, now it's like, I can't believe I already sold four sponsorships and I have half of my speakers ready to go for the next event. Mm. In the middle of a pandemic, I'm planning this. And it's that much easier than the first time. So yeah. so to answer your question, yes, it is so much easier for me <laughs> to continue building it. And if it wasn't, I don't know that I would have the energy to keep going. But yeah. I will say that, you know, just like I said, when I was doing stand up or when I was singing and I got up there in front of everyone and I was just like, nope, this doesn't feel how I thought it was going to feel. When I got up on that mm. economy stage, because I was the MC for the event, it felt yeah. better than I ever thought it would feel. It felt wow. like it was the only time that, and I've done a lot of public speaking, like especially leading up to the event. I, um, I did a lot of guest lecturing at UC and mm. trying to get like students interested in coming and getting volunteers and giving away free tickets. And we, we sponsored a lot of students to be able to come. And so I was doing a lot of guest lecturing, trying to get young people to care about money. And, um, but, and even then I would get nervous, but the, it's the only time I've ever spoke in front of a large group of people. And I wasn't nervous at all. I felt like this was oh my, my house, you know, like, like you came <laughs> over to my house and I'm just feeding you a word salad, you know, like that's yeah. just, it just, it felt amazing. And, and that to me was like this sense of certainty that I'm so glad I stuck with it. And this is how, this is better than I thought it was going to feel. And, and that's a big clue into, you know, are you doing the right thing for you? For sure. That, that is, oh my God, that is such an amazing story. That is really like truly amazing. Like that, that's, that's so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think now I have to go. Like, I, I think I'd be a sin if I don't go <laughs> just really quick. I, I don't, you know, I would be going about an hour now. I don't want to take too much of your time. Um, I have I have two sort of random questions. Okay. One, so the first one is, what do you think of Rule One Investing? Because every time they come on the podcast, so guys, for context, there's I guess a, a blog called uh, Rule One Investing, and he has a little bit of a different approach um, to investing. And and so like really quick to preface this question, I when I first heard him narrated on the show. I remember being like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Like, I remember being like, who, who is this guy? Phil Talent, like, who is this guy? And I looked into him. I was like, oh, he looks legit, whatever. But every time he would come on, I'd be like, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> so kind of just tell me about that. You know from my commentary that I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't agree with it. Um, but, you know, I think that 
as a, as a podcast about money, money is very personal, right? Personal finance Mm. is personal. And so just because active investing is not my preference, I don't want to like tell anybody else that it shouldn't be their preference. I'm happy to share what I like, but I just feel like, what do I care if someone else likes active investing? Maybe they're like super, they want to sit there and research companies all day and decide what individual stocks they want to buy. That sounds like a nightmare to me, but go ahead. You know, that's what you want to (laughs) do with your time. It's not what I want to do with my time. And I actually don't think it's the most efficient and effective way to invest. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I, I do, I actually, it's funny that you bring this up because I do want to find some, some more varied content on active investing. I think that we could do a little Mm. better. Um, and, and if we are going to talk about active investing, I want to maybe something that's a little more data driven, maybe something that's a little bit more specific in its advice. Um, I, Mm. I find those articles to be a little bit vague and I think that's why they're, they rub me the wrong way. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, it just doesn't align with my philosophy for investing. I think you should keep it simple, stupid. You should buy low fee total market index funds. You should do it yeah. for the long run and, you know, start early and in, start early and invest often and automate yeah. it and don't even look at it. Don't even look at the roller coaster of the stock market. I mean, I just, I'm a big fan of passive investing. I think that's the way that most people, especially if you're getting started, you know, I remember when I wanted to start investing and I just felt like, well, I don't know enough. I got to learn everything there is to learn about investing before I can start. And that's, I still don't know everything. Right. I read about this stuff every day, literally every single day of the year. I am reading you an article about money and I still learn things from the articles that I read. And, um, you know, the financial services industry makes things very complex, a lot more complex than they need to be. And, um, you know, so I, I think it's, if you're wanting to invest, but you're like me where you're hesitant because you feel like you don't know enough just keep it simple. Get yourself yeah. into a low fee index fund, you know, f- focus on your retirement vehicles, fully fund your Roth IRA, your 401k and your HSA. Between those three things, it's $29,000 a year. If that's how much you were saving. Yeah. So listen to this. This is kind of something that blew my mind the other day when I realized it. Um, I've all, again, I've only been in this game since I was 28, right? I got out of debt in 2016. So for four years, I fully funded my retirement vehicles. It's 29,000 a year. I think I may have had like 40 grand in there because I like just did the minimum to get the match like through my twenties. That's all I invested. And then I bumped it up to like 15% in order to fully, fully fund it. A lot of people say I max out my 401k. And what they're saying is that they contributed enough to get their employer match. They didn't put in $19,500. Most people don't do that. Right. But I did that for four years. And now I'm in the position where if I didn't contribute one more dollar to my retirement vehicles, I would have enough money to retire at traditional retirement age. That's amazing. Only 
right? I'm coast fire just from being aggressive for four years. Now that opens so much, many options for me because I'm not thinking, well, what am I, you know, I'm not saving. I don't have to save for retirement anymore if I don't want to. Now, early retirement's a different story, but, um, Mm. You know, that that's amazing to me. Most people are not able to save 29,000 a year. So mm-hmm. don't overcomplicate it. It's almost like if you're not saving, if you have more than 29,000 a year to invest, and I'm talking about a single person, right? I'm, I'm leaving out a lot of details here for the sake of this conversation, but you know, then don't worry about all the other complex investing topics. You know what I mean? Just start with the basics. The tax advantages for retirement vehicles are so good. You got, I think you got to focus on those first. And then people will say, oh, but you can't access that money until 59 and a half. First of all, there are ways to access it. And there's this great, um, there's this great article. I just, I don't know if this episode came out yet. You'll hear it because you listen to me every day, right? (laughs) But there's an episode about like, can you save too much for retirement? Can you sock Mm. away too much in those accounts? And I ultimately agreed with him, but I thought the title was misleading because his, his assumption was that you owe, no matter what you want to avoid that 10% penalty to access your money in retirement accounts, that that should be avoided at all costs. But what if the tax benefits for investing in those accounts were so good that it totally offset any kind of penalty and that you're still better off, even if you have to take the penalty to get your money out, you know, within mm-hmm. early retirement, that blew my mind. Cause it's like, yeah, yeah. We're basically, you know, we were stepping over dollars to save pennies because we don't understand that, like the, the full benefits of these, uh, these vehicles. So, you know, it's stuff like that, that fascinates me. And, um, you know, it's like, start with the basics, get out of debt, get your emergency fund to a comfortable place fully fund those retirement vehicles. And then after that, start throwing money at an after-tax brokerage. Done. Easy peasy. Yeah. You want to buy a house yeah. in that process? Great. But like, it doesn't have to be overcomplicated. Yeah. That's that exactly. Exactly. And my, my last uh, question, Diana, is what is the one thing, if you had to pick one, because I know you, there's, there's quite a few, if you had to pick one thing that sets apart uh, young adults from being successful versus not. I know we talked about a lot. What would you say that one thing is? Mm. Oh, that is hard for one thing. One, a, a thing I like to say a lot is let your curiosity be bigger than your fear because that opens up a lot of different questions, right? If you could just be curious, I was tempted to say, so now I'm going to sneak it in. Um, stop drinking. Honestly, I stopped drinking four months ago and it changed my life. I feel so good. I feel like really? I can, I can do anything. I just, I really? I've have so much energy. My thinking is so clear. I wish I would have stopped drinking. I wasn't an alcoholic. That's not why I stopped drinking. I just, I was curious. I let my curiosity yeah. about what it would be like to be completely clear of this toxin I had been drinking for so long. And it's a very mm. social thing. It's hard to imagine life without alcohol, mm-hmm. but I let my curiosity be bigger than my fear of the unknown and I'm so much better for it. So it's things like that. Like be curious about how much money you can save, be curious about what it would be like to get out of debt and how do you plan for that? Because money is a very fearful thing for so many people, but if you can get curious about it, 
and mm. and not be dismissive of other people doing well with money and like, well, they could do it because they're privileged and I'll never be able to do X, Y, or Z, right? You hear that all the time. Mm. I hear oh, that all the yeah. time. And just get curious, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I love that. Uh, I love that answer. And it's, it's a unique answer. Usually a lot of answers and, and, you know, you know, our goal setting or intention and things like that. And I think the curiosity, we don't talk about that enough to, 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 to lean into your curiosities. I feel like I'm, I, I consider myself a very inquisitive person. I'm always asking questions. I'm always pondering. I'm always I can see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, so I, I absolutely love that, uh, advice. And I, um, I'm a big fan of, um, Tim Ferriss and, uh, a lot of his, a lot of his content is, is curiosity. Curious. I mean, he's the most curious person on the planet. Oh, Earth, yeah. like, period. He's point obsessively blank, right? curious. <laughs> oh my God. Right. So, so I, I, you know, and, and I have a buddy, you know, where he, he's just like him, where he's, it's just a curiosity thing. And, and I love that. So that's fantastic advice. That's, I mean, I, I could, I'm, I'm probably gonna have to have you back on because there's so many different topics we, we, we sort of brush through and I, I want to talk about them. So for now, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, really quick, tell, tell the audience a little bit where they can find you if they, if they want to reach out. Awesome. Great. So if you go to economyconference.com and economy is spelled with an M-E at the end instead of an M-Y because I'm so clever, um, <laughs> but it's economyconference.com. That's where you can learn more about the event. Um, you can search for our economy conference on YouTube and see all of our videos. Sign up for my mailing list. You'll be the first to know when tickets go on sale. Um, tickets are going to go on sale on March 7th. I don't know when the, when this show is going to um, a launch, but early bird pricing is going to be available from March 7th to, um, April 10th. So, um, you'll, you'll get all the information about economy from being on my mailing list. Um, and then you can also subscribe to the optimal finance daily show and allow me to serenade you with the sweet sounds of personal finance knowledge. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, just like you say it in the show, my, my goodness, um, guys, go check out that show. I swear to God, like I've talked about it a couple of times on this podcast. That's literally that is, I mean, I love my show, but that is my favorite finance podcast, period. So you guys definitely got to go check out uh, Diana on the show. And and there's just so much great content, so effortless. You could just listen and pop it in while you're driving or walking. And, and it's just like all these different great authors. Anyway, go check it out. Thank you so much, Diana. I really, really appreciate it. And we'll have to talk soon. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. So there you have it, my friends. Guys, amazing interview. God, it was so funny to to talk with her. Again, just such an amazing uh, person and such a wonderful, refreshing conversation to have with her on a variety of topics. Uh, again, truly, truly a dream come true to to interview the host of my favorite podcast, you know, period, right? It, it really is one of my favorites. It's to me, it's the GOAT um, personal finance podcast. So to, to, to talk with her was just... You know, it was it was um, it was really special. So thank you so much, Diana, for coming on the show. I really, really, really appreciated that more than you know, guys. Again, reminder: wealth simple trade, wealth simple invest. Start building your futures for yourselves. Right? Nobody's gonna build it for you, guys. Please give it a shot. Check it out. I promise you, you're not gonna be disappointed. You start TFSA, start an RSP. You know, they've got crypto accounts. They've got all kinds of great stuff over at Wealth Simple. My favorites are Wealth Simple Trade, Wealth Simple Invest. 
Links are in the show notes. Go check it out. But yeah, that's all I have for you guys. Really hope you enjoyed the interview. I will be back on Sunday. I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. But for now, I'm out this mother. Peace.